providing you with the tools, knowledge, skills, and power to advance your career, grow your business, and build a better future for your community. We are the Tourism Academy, and welcome to Business Class. On this episode of Business Class, I talk with Caroline Asante, Executive Director of the Student Youth Travel Association, about her own experiences as a student traveler, from road trips with her family, study abroad, and even a more recent visit to Jordan, where she slept in the desert and got to ride camels. There's more going on there, and I invite you to experience business class as I chat with Caroline Asante. Enjoy. So uh, welcome to Business Class Podcast, where we're talking to people who are making their, their living and their difference in the tourism industry. Join me today, Caroline Asante. Executive Director of the CIDA Student and Youth Travel Association. Welcome aboard. Thanks so much, Stephen. It's great to see you. Oh, it's nice to see you too. I've known you for quite a while now. I think it's almost, well, 10 years was my anniversary. So, and you were on my board and, and welcomed me into this industry. Yeah, well, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> we're still here. <laughs> we're still, I'm, I am no more gray than I was then, but I probably have less hair. <laughs> Looking good. So, so your, your role straddles a line between association management and working in the travel and tourism trade. Yes, yeah. Uh, how, how did you get started you know, in, in either of those two? It's a, it's a great question. Um, and if I could put it back to my childhood and where I learned how to read a triptych. Do you, I don't know, you're too young for that, but my mom would plan our vacations and we had this savings account and all the extra money or anything that we earned would go into this bank account. They were bank travel accounts. But more importantly, it was my job to map out the trip in the back of the station wagon and I would flip through the pages and I just grew to love that experience. And every year we would plan this family vacation, which was the highlight of our year. So I think that I originally started in the back of a station wagon, learning about how to map out a family vacation and use the big atlas. So I think it's something that has been a part of me um, for years. And then when I was able to work, I worked in a restaurant. So that's hospitality. But I think one of the other really, the moments that brought it all home for me was I had the chance to study abroad in college. And I studied in, in Spain and France and just really became very passionate about travel and spent a month backpacking. And so I think it really solidified for me that whatever I did when I graduated, it would have to be with travel in some way. I like that story. And yes, I am old enough to remember the trip. <laughs> I will not tell anybody my nine-year-old niece still believes I'm 29. It works. Yeah, exactly. So what's one thing you wish you'd known when you got started on your career? That's a really great question. What I wish I had learned a little bit earlier, and I'm always continuing to learn, is how to be 
a a better listener, a really good listener. I think that when we're young, we start out and we're constantly talking and selling and we're always feeling like we have to make our way and tell our story and impress others. And and in hindsight, I wish that I had studied harder at becoming a listener. And I, I'm still working on that today. And I think that is one of the most important lessons I've learned over time. And I even have a sticky on my desk that just says, stop talking, listen, or pause, or count to 10. So, you know, for those of us who are often maybe speaking and doing events and things like that, we have a tendency to sort of like the spotlight. But I would say listening, learning how to listen. You might appreciate this, but the very last person I talked to for the podcast said the same thing. Wow. Okay, then I'm on target. And uh, and for me, this podcast is a is an exercise in learning to learn, to listen better. So you're definitely not alone in that category. Um, what are some of the best resources that have helped you along the way? I would say, you know, I'm an avid reader. So for me, I books are a mainstay for me. Um, you know, I always travel with a lot of books. And then certainly when Kindle came on board and my phone and podcasts, um, we were just talking about being a lifelong learner. And I would say that, you know, books and education, I'm constantly reading different newsletters. I belong to a lot of membership groups that send me information. And I think those are um, I have a spectrum of information. So I think what's key is I read everything from things about religion or travel, humanity, art, business, other kinds of businesses. And so I think what has really been key for me, I believe in that is as much information as I take in from a variety of sources, it helps me make the decisions that I do or helps inform me and just helps, I think, provide me with some really good data in the back of my head somewhere where I can hopefully make good decisions moving forward. But I would say books, resources, any type of education is really the key for me. If you had to recommend one book that I must read, what are you going to tell oh, me? Goodness. Oh. Okay. So I have a couple, but one Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> it's one of the oldest books, one of my favorite. Um, and Long Day's Journey into Night. So I studied English, and those were probably two of my favorite books. I still have them. Those are good. Those are good. They're also good to reread. Mm -hmm. Yes. Every once in a while. I know our my book club reread Uncle Tom's Cabin years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was a completely different experience as an adult reader than it was in the academic setting. Well, we were fortunate, well, prior to COVID, To Kill a Mockingbird was coming out on Broadway mm -hmm. and had an opportunity to see that and then have reread that a couple of times. So I think it's, it's really interesting how classics come back in different forms, you know, and can help inform us today. So who is somebody who's been a great influence on you? 
you know, certainly my family has is is a very large Italian-Irish family. I have 51st cousins who can say that, but not many. But I would say that there have been people in my life from my grandmother to my mom was very influential and she still is today in providing me with the confidence to take risks and to to feel comfortable with myself and to be who I am. So I would say family members have been have been very close, but I've also been lucky to have someone in each of the fields, you know, like a mentor. And I've always looked, you know, I had a variety of jobs along the way till I got here and always was able to find someone to be a mentor, whether it was a friend or someone I worked with, a colleague, but that has always been a resource for me. So it's a variety of people over time that I like to say have made a difference to me. And if, what's, what would you say is maybe a common myth about your profession or your field that you would want to debunk? And, and I'll open this up to say it could be about association management or about student travel. So what I think happens in association management or not-for-profit, we have a very, we have a service mentality. You know, we feel that what we do is, is very much related to service. And it is. The work that we do should impact society or the people we represent. But what I think is often a myth is that just because we're a service organization, we're also still a business. And we also still need to be profitable so that we can carry out that mission. And I think sometimes there's a fine line when I'm working where people think, well, you shouldn't charge for that. You should just be giving that away. You have a mission. It's, it's service driven and it is, but I also still have a responsibility to be, to be smart about business, to be fiscally smart and to be very focused on carrying out that mission for the future. So sometimes, you know, we might make someone angry along the way. It may not make sense, but we're just as much business leaders as a for-profit company or a government entity. And I think people forget that in our line of work. I, I, I get that sense <laughs> now that I am also in the nonprofit <laughs> sector. <laughs> now, um, what... What role do you think associations can play to support recovery from, from COVID? You know, it's been a, a challenging time for associations as well because we depend on our members and we depend usually on face-to-face -face meetings, conferences, and trade shows as a major source of revenue. And when you can't bring people together, your members question whether or not they should pay their membership dues should they still support the organization. But, but what I would say more than ever, and especially as a result of COVID, is associations have really been working hard on behalf of the members they represent in, in whatever field you're in through COVID, whether it was, you know, think about it, redesigning grocery services. You know, now we have new delivery services for getting food to people. We have supply chain that has changed. We have changed everything to virtual. We're now delivering professional development. We're still connecting people virtually. And so I think more than ever, 
we provided a space for people to build relationships and stay connected. And then we're just so focused on our industry thriving that, you know, we're, we're more than ever committed to the people we work with. So I think more, you know, for the future, when we come back to face-to-face meetings, we're going to have even more relevance for connecting people again in a safe and, and positive way. But we've all had to rethink our business models and do something different. And, and that's been just as challenging for us as it is for the industries we represent. But I think it's something that is, is still growing. And I, I think I might've mentioned we've grown globally with COVID because the U.S. is one of the few places where we're traveling again, we're opening up again. And other countries and other organizations, especially schools and students around the world are looking to us to provide some of those answers for for safe travel. And so it's given us an opportunity to share what we have and what we've learned and and make it more positive for others who are still looking ahead and hoping to travel soon. Well, that would have been my next question is about face-to-face meetings. And, you know, I know you guys ran your conference the virtual format this last yeah. year. Yeah, and we're going um, virtual again this August. Oh, good. And do you see, how do you see the return to face-to-face and its importance of being face-to-face versus virtual? I think more than ever, we're hearing that everyone wants to connect with each other. What I think may be a little bit different, you know, and, and Saida could be an example where we we had these business meetings where we have these very tight scheduled formal business meetings. And what I'm getting a sense from our members is they can do that virtually. What they want to do in person is sit down with someone in a more relaxed environment. They want to have time to get to know them personally. They want to have a chance to network, you know, back in maybe a a cocktail hour network, providing more comfortable spaces for them to get together, I've seen an increase in more local meetings. So maybe instead of one big meeting, you might have one large one, but you'll do eight smaller ones around the country. So being there where your members are and providing that same space is a change that I see. And I think we have to use what virtual taught us to help build those relationships. And then when you're face to face, build on what you did virtually, you know, during that time period. And I think it'll be a really good change again. People will be excited to see each other in the new formats. I personally felt the same way about the trade show appointments. Mm-hmm. And it was, I can, I can give them my sales presentation. I can give them my collateral over the phone, over an email. While we're there in person, I want to make sure you know I care about you. Absolutely. And I think that's what you're going to see is different too, is we were very much focused, I think, on customer service, even myself personally, it was like providing the service and and doing it the most professional, fastest way. But now I feel I'm much more concerned about how my members are feeling. Are they doing okay? I think people genuinely want to know more about how you're doing and they want to take the time to hear that story and hear what your story has been. And I think that's different and it'll help us, you know, all as we go through the next couple of years and and grow back our businesses over time. 
what's been your most proud moment in the last 10 years? I would say, you know, it's interesting. We celebrated our, our 20th anniversary um, five years ago. We're on our 25th. And I just remember standing at the back of the room with everyone who was a part of this organization, you know, from the past, the present and, and the future. And just feeling like in some way I made a personal contribution. And I, when my first speaking, um, time speaking to the audience, I likened it to having them at my table for, for family dinner. Again, I mentioned I come from a large family. And when we sit down and break bread together in a family atmosphere, that's where we're all connecting. And so for me, our luncheons and our dinners and our galas, all of that to me is about fostering community in a very personal way. So to sit back and see over a thousand people connecting and celebrating was really a very special moment. Um, and, and I'm the one who loves to be at the back. I really actually, the stage is fine, but I want to be the one in the back watching everything unfold. <laughs> and, and it was really exciting. And I would add too is, um, Stephen, I had incredible staff over the years and I love watching my staff. When I first saw one of my staff, Emily, get up on a stage to speak for the first time and, you know, Becky on my team and hey, like everyone growing and then having that moment is, is really important to me. And, and that's really special. So the feeling of being a mentor mm -hmm. um, relates back, I think, in some ways to our own experiences and the people who are mentors to us. Yes. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? You know, besides listening and, and counting to 10, which I, we, we talk about that. I think one of the best was to really put myself in, in their shoes. And before I rushed to judgment or make a decision, I was in a sales class and I was learning how to do sales. And I thought nobody wants to talk to me. So I was almost afraid to pick up the phone. You remember when you did a lot of cold calls by phone and they just said to me, don't prejudge the person on the other end of the phone. You have something to offer them, something that could potentially help their business. Let them decide whether or not they want to continue with you, but don't, don't prejudge and make the call. And if you're providing the information and you're listening appropriately and asking good questions, there's a good chance, even if you don't get the sale, you'll have developed a relationship. And that really was so important to me in, in continuing. And I, I do that and I, I always try very hard when I'm about to make a new call and call on someone I, I don't know to remember not to judge. And, and just to remember, we all have something special to offer. The uh, days of cold calling. <laughs> yeah, I, I had this situation earlier today where somebody was trying to call me back about something. And mm -hmm. I had to really think twice about answering the phone, whether it was going to be a car warranty or somebody I actually wanted to talk <laughs> with. I swear those car warranty people should have been in, in charge of all of our COVID notifications. Oh, yes. They are relentless. Oh, the worst. Um, 
where, what's your favorite travel memory? Oh, wow. So I would say that I had an opportunity to travel to Jordan two years ago with Tourism Cares. And we spent close to 10 days traveling through the country of Jordan. And it was the first time I've ever did a real deep dive into a country where, you know, to spend that many days, typically we're jumping from city to city, we're in a million different hotels, but for the very first time, we traveled the entire country. We spent time getting to know the people in every sector. I rode a camel. I slept out in the desert. I learned to eat with my hands. I went, I, you know, swam in the black. It was just, I did all these incredible experiences. And what I took away from that was spending more time in one location is a really good thing. And it's something I, I want to do in the future with traveling. I know more 14 countries in 10 days. I, I think that, <laughs> no, no, Jordan was an incredible country and the people there were. And what I also learned, uh, Stephen, is I had never really spent time in a, in a Middle Eastern country or learn or know that many people. And it was just eye-opening, the graciousness, learning so much about their culture that it reminded me about why travel is so important, especially for students and kids and why we have to make sure that kids are traveling so they have a good understanding of others. As young as we can possibly take them, you know, we should. I think the more we travel, the more we realize we have in common. Yeah. At the end of the day, no matter what corner of the globe you're on, everybody wants their kids to have a better life than they did. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think we can accomplish that. And I just remember the stories of kids we've taken on trips and those first experiences. Uh, you, you know, they just, they remind you why we do what we do for sure. Yeah, it pulls at the heartstrings. It does. And um, maybe a donation. <laughs> and maybe a donation. Donate today at cyta.org or tourismacademy.org. Either one. We're, we're happy. Or They're both, even better. Um, we wrap up every interview with a little bit of a card game. Ooh. Oh, yeah, this is a fun one, right? So I'm going to ask you to pick a number, one to ten. Eight. Eight. Oh, this is a good one. Who was your most memorable teacher? Oh, I can, Mrs. Parsons. I, I just literally saw my eighth grade class on Facebook. God bless Facebook sometimes. You know, <laughs> literally Mrs. Parsons, someone had posted a picture. And uh, actually, no, she was my sixth grade social studies teacher. Um, and she had a very stern countenance, but I will never forget her incredible enthusiasm for sharing history and social studies with us. And she really, I think, changed my life and encouraged me to think beyond what I thought I could do. Growing up in New York City, we often thought about staying home in New York and, and New York was the center of the world, but she really was one of those first people to remind me that we have a whole big world out there. And to this day, I can see her face. And it was just amazing that she popped up. So Mrs. Parsons. I love that story. <laughs> well, Carolyn, I'd like to thank you for joining me here on Business Class. If folks want to learn more about CIDA or get in touch with you, what would you recommend? 
um, definitely reach out to me at ciasante at cita.org. Or if you go to our website, syta.org, you can find my contact information and um, learn more about what we do. And, and I really appreciate this chance to visit with you and, and talk about our passions. It's great to talk with you again, too. The Business Class Podcast is produced by Stephen Gross and powered by Group Travel Odyssey. Group Travel Odyssey consolidates human resources, marketing, sales, tour operations, tour accounting, supplier management, and on-the-road management in one convenient, easy-to-use package. Improve your team's efficiency with continuously updated supplier information and pricing right at your fingertips. Group Travel Odyssey, business without boundaries. I'm your host, Steve Ekstrom, and welcome to Business Class. Take a course. Train your people, teach what you love, promote your products. Donate today at tourismacademy.org, a 501c3 nonprofit organization.